0: Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, what to do when you're out of fuel. Do you think you're superhuman and can carry on going despite whatever macro and micro stresses life throws at you? Or do you feel on the edge of burnout and are wondering how you're going to make it to the end of next week? In this podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Jess Harvey, a GP partner and GB triathlete to talk about what happened when she ran out of fuel and hit burnout we talk about how we so often ignore the symptoms and signs for too long and why resting and refueling is as important if not more important than what we're doing in the first place. So listen to this episode to find out what happened to Jess when she experienced one too many holes in her energy bucket. Listen if you want to find out how we justify our behaviour and why we think it's okay to keep going. And listen to find out how to check in with yourself and plug the holes in your energy bucket. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water overwhelmed and exhausted but this has crept up on us slowly so we hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm and let's face it frogs generally only have two choices stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in you have many more options than you think you do it is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances I'm your host, Dr Rachel Morris, GP to executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? It's just 27 pounds and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com/get your life back. It's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Jess Harvey. Now, Jess is a GP partner. She's also a GB triathlete, so she's competed in her age group for Great Britain, and she has a particular interest in resilience, well-being, and particularly rest and recuperation after a series of, well, she describes them as fortunate events that has happened to her. So, Jess, yeah, just welcome for a start. It's really great to
1: have you. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Could you start with by telling us about you know these what brought you to this interest in well-being resilience and rest and what's what's your story because I know you've got quite a few things have happened to you over the past few years
1: yeah yeah I think it's it's been an interesting few years and I guess if you sort of think about things in those sort of chapters in your lives those headings there's been a few that have definitely sort of marked my way thus far and um, I guess the you know as I you know we had a great upbringing normal school and all that sort of thing medical school was great really enjoyed it and I think the first sort of chapter heading thereafter was when or towards the end of my medical school I had developed an eating disorder and it was sort of full-blown anorexia by the time that I sort of qualified and I guess it's a period of my life that you look back on and think it definitely changed me Um and I think it's taught me a lot of things. But I remember sort of I started running and through medical school and when I was a kid, I used to play loads and loads of hockey. But then in medical school, I trained in Cardiff. So we went all across Wales doing placements. And I, it got difficult trying to play for a team in Cardiff when I was placed in Rill for six weeks. So I started running as something else to do and found out I loved it and I carried on doing that and with my eating disorder, disorders obviously when you sort of drop to a low weight you get to a point where actually running isn't really that conducive I remember the moment that was my sort of pin drop moment for that which was I tried to go for a run and I got down the road and literally couldn't and I just didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to move and that was the moment that I thought right okay And then you sort of realise then is that that was what I loved doing. And that was what my, that was always my get out for stress from work, for everything else was running. And so all of a sudden I realised what I was doing. It wasn't what I was doing to myself with my body, my bone health, you know, my fertility, all that stuff. It was that my coping mechanism was going to go. So that was what then sort of took me out. And that was the moment that I was like, I'm going to do something about this. So... Then I sort of started eating and definitely things improved. And I guess that was kind of that little chapter that started to then move on. And I think it's something that when you've had an eating disorder like that is I like you sort of live with it. And like I've got a healthy BMI and stuff now. Um, but yeah, it's something that you live with, I think, for a lot of people. Some people fully recover, but I think I'm more one of those people who probably lives with it, if I'm honest. But it certainly taught me how much sort of exercise was important to me as a person not for weight control or anything like that but for other benefits that I got from it Mm. so that was sort of that chapter and then I sort of moved on and did various other jobs and wasn't sure what to do with my life so decided I'd apply for GP training hoping I'd have an epiphany in the first 18 months of my GP training so i was to do 18 months of different specialties and then partway through that, I got a really bad eye infection. And it basically meant that I ended up missing two, two months of work with it. And to cut a long story short, is it, the, it's a really rare infection called acanthamoeba that you get in contact lens wearers. And with hindsight, I was a walking risk factor because I did everything wrong. But then it just destroyed the top layer of my eye and I got a super infection with it. And the brief version is that my eye is sort of self-perforated in the kitchen mirror one day. Um, so I ended up down in Moorfields in London, um, who were brilliant. And I can't thank them enough, really, because they've really looked after me over the years. And I haven't been an easy patient, because I've had also every complication you can possibly have. So I ended up with a corneal transplant sort of the next day. And I had, I've had i got secondary glaucoma, so I've got tubes that have to be put in and all that sort of stuff. But it certainly taught me. I, I definitely learned a few things from that. Um, one... So my my knowledge of ophthalmology is a lot better than it was before. I've got a new appreciation for the transplant service. Like, it's amazing. I don't think when people are filling out the forms, they quite realise the impact that that can have.
0: I remember what we were chatting before the podcast, and you said that one of the ways you know when you're stressed is things start, you know, or or, or every time it's failed, it's been in a period of your life where you've been particularly stressed. Is that is yeah. that right? And most of us don't look after ourselves like that, you know, we, we think that our organs are completely expendable, I guess. And it's not until you've had something really important happen like that. And you stop taking yourself for granted. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, completely. And it's been, yeah, there's been times when it's funny because it, when, when I'm getting really stressed, it's normally one of two things that happen. Either A, I get injured or like in terms of like running injuries or whatever, or something goes wrong with my eye. And it's, and it's always, and that's always the way. I guess the other thing that I learned with my, from my eye, I'm forever grateful for, for it, is that I had one operation with my, they would put a tube in my eye and they said, right. And as my one consultant was walking out the door, she said, oh, and by the way, you can't run anywhere for six weeks. At which point I sort of hit the ceiling and grabbed her back in because, you know, that, that was my get out. That that's how I'd coped with the whole thing. Um, so anyway, we compromised on indoor bikes and she said, right, you can, go, you can sit on a stationary bike and that's it. So I was like, right, I'm going to learn to ride a bike now. And um, anyway, that sort of led into me doing triathlon randomly. I'm not a swimmer, but I knew how to swim. Um, and sort of within like a year of doing it, I found myself in Canada doing the World Championships, my age group, Great Britain. So, so yeah, and if it hadn't have been for all my eye stuff, that, that never would have happened.
0: It's amazing how when the bad stuff comes, which you would never want it to happen again, you never wish it on anybody, but often it does produce a change of direction or something that is, is beneficial to us and that actually we, we would never have seen coming. So it's strange that, isn't it? Life is strange in that way.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny because before we, so just before we started this, recording this, I was thinking about stuff that had happened to me. I thought, well, if, I, if someone could wave a magic wand and change it, would I not have had all that stuff happen to me? Yeah, like, I, don't, I wouldn't change it now because everything that's happened since then has been so great. And actually, even the downsides when I'm sat in a hospital bed and overnight and by myself in London and stuff, actually, it's fine because you learn to cope with these things and something good does come out of them, like, like my triathlon and stuff. And I've got so many amazing friends that I ended up meeting through Trust. I think that's the the funny thing about resilience.
0: I was reading some research the other day, which was, I guess, slightly depressing. That's, you know, how do you really teach kids resilience and children resilience? And it's like, well, yes, you can teach them about emotional intelligence, you can teach them this and this, but actually, the way you learn resilience is by going through crap. (laughs) and that really does make you stronger and it's a bit depressing because you think well I don't want my kids to have to go through dreadful stuff in order to make them more resilient but on the other hand maybe it does mean that that issue that they're having with their friendship or that bad grade that they got actually isn't the disaster that I think it is maybe that's how they're going to learn and that's going to how they're going to develop so I think we really need to get away from our thinking about things being really good or things being really bad and just actually things are just, just what they are, aren't they?
1: Yeah. I think they're just like, they're just experiences, aren't they? And you, it's, it's an experience that you've had and you can take something from, you can choose to take something from that experience and go forward with it or not so, i'd call that staying in your zone of power so you know the whole resenting it
0: is like i wish it didn't happen it's so yeah. bad why well, I me mean, well that's nothing you can control it's nothing you can change it's happened yeah. whereas if you're staying in your zone of power thinking actually what can i do now that's what's really important and so one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you was because i think after this you you've experienced some some more issues in terms of overtraining, and then that's yeah. gone on over training syndrome that's that's made you go on to really think about the importance of rest yeah. and recuperation and I thought that was a message for my listeners yeah. really need to it. hear
1: so tell us a bit about that yeah so so I became a partner in well 2017 I was living sort of quite a nice partnership life um sort of going along so sort of doing doing what I could but um didn't have massive responsibility and then it sort of started to increase which is good that's you know what's supposed to happen so it's last year and there was a sort of sequence of events um so I think the first thing was that I got a stress fracture in my foot um so then I was on crutches for four weeks and working still through it which was a challenge the being on crutches wasn't the issue for me it was that I couldn't go running I couldn't go cycling The only thing I could do was swimming and to go swimming I had to hobble up with my crutches to the poolside and and do it. And I think I was kind of falling apart inside because of that. And I don't think any of my colleagues quite realised at all. Um, so that happened. And then just so I got off the crutches, I was involved with a case of a young girl and um, it ended up going to the coroner. And it was very difficult. And it was something that nobody could have foreseen coming. But the way the coroner was sort of wording things was that I was responsible either way. But that really kept me up a lot because it was a young person and either way I felt very much to blame even though it's something that no one I know deep down no one would have seen coming but that also played on me and I found that really hard because your clinical sort of judgment then is starting to come in to question and you sort of think start to question like I was you know two years into being a partner and trying to stand on my own two feet and you know be independent and all those sorts of things but I really started to sort of crumble a little bit with that. And I remember just every patient that came in just second guessing everything that happened. Mm. And you don't really feel like you can sort of burden your colleagues with this sort of stuff because you think, well, they're just gonna think I'm, you know, a bit of an idiot and I should be able to cope with this. And it's that, I think I've got quite sort of inward thing of that I should be able to cope and you have to think about why. And I've learned now that why should I? Because I wouldn't treat anybody else like that. And I think that's something that we all have to sort of think about. And then um, just as that was sort of going on, then we got the CQC call. So, and this was obviously my first CQC inspection and I was absolutely bricking it. Um, And I thought we're going to fail it. It's going to be because of me. I'm going to get interviewed and that's what we're going to lose. And I could see my partners around me were all really stressed and we were all doing loads of work for it to get prepared and... But I was absolutely breaking it. I don't think they actually have any idea of what was going through my head and how I was just having completely sleepless nights. So it was going to be me. And I'm sure – and I know that they were having sleepless nights over various other things. But I think – but you sort of assume that they're just having sleepless nights over general things, not it being them. But, um, yeah, so I, that wasn't the best. And then the week before CQC came – my eye um, started projecting again. So then the trip down to London and we started having conversations about them taking my eye out, which I wasn't very impressed with. Um, so it was, it was funny because like we had the inspection. I remember sort of leading up to it, going out on my bike and just feeling really hard and thinking it feels like I'm riding through mud. And then I just went, tried to go for a run about a week after the CQC inspection. And I just couldn't. And it was like that eating disorder moment again. I literally just couldn't put one front in front of the other. And it wasn't because I hadn't eaten. It wasn't because I wasn't fit enough. It was literally because I was just completely burnt out. And you look at everything and you look back. And with hindsight you can see it all happening and that tank sort of draining. And the only way I can liken it is it's a bit like going on a long car journey. You've got a tank full of petrol that I started off the year with. And it sort of went down and there were chances. And I went past garages where I could have stopped and filled it up. But I was like, no, it's okay. I can get to the next one. I can get to the next one. And then it sort of got to where it was all coming to a head. And it's that realisation that I've gone too far. And I'm not going to make it to the garage and you can feel the engine stuttering and you just come to a grinding halt and you keep thinking it'll get there, it'll get there. As long as I can just get through this thing, I'll be okay. But, but I just couldn't make it. And yeah. And with hindsight, you can see if you imagine that tank and this is how I think of it now, is if you imagine having a bucket of water and we've all got the stuff that drains out like work and training and family, all those sorts of things. And we're... And you fill it up with doing the things that you enjoy doing like walking the dog or meeting out friends going for a meal stuff like that I don't, yoga sessions anything that makes you happy that brings you some joy helps to fill that bucket back up but what was happening to me was that there were just more and more holes getting put in the bucket and it was coming out faster and faster and even though I thought I was putting in enough the holes that were already there were getting bigger like the work hole with the inspection and then like, my eye was, you know, it's probably always there as a little hole that I just try not to imagine is there, but it is there. But then that all of a sudden got bigger. And when all that's coming out, you, you, unless you do something major to put a hole in one of them, you're, you're never going to win. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to me, really.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting because, you know, you see you were doing your exercise, which for you – was is part of your re-energising, but that wasn't enough. So, what else? What was missing there from you in terms of the, the energy filling up? Do you think?
1: I think, it, like when you look back, you think, well, I wasn't doing those other things that we know that I now know, having read about more a lot more about it, that actually do make us happy and do help. Mm-hmm. So, things like those social connections and those relationships, like I was, you know, didn't see. Anyone really for about like a month, other than people I worked with, maybe sort of my, my parents for a for Sunday meal, because I was just working and training. And I saw the people that I sort of trained with, which is probably my saving grace in a way. And that was probably the one thing that really did keep me going was sort of seeing the people that I trained with, like that I swam with, or that I rode with. Um, but sort of losing those social connections and that sort of downtime. I think it it was it was probably that and I think it's that also sort of taking care of yourself like I wasn't doing yoga or anything like that at the time Mm. and certainly now I've learned that that sort of has a definitely a benefit for me in terms of almost like a sort of meditative but also like the physical benefits but also the mental benefits of just switching off and just having that headspace um I think it's just generally that looking after yourself, isn't it? It's that, are you sort of eating well? Are you sleeping well? Are you seeing your friends? Are you doing the things that you enjoy doing? And the reality was that I was kind of enjoying exercise, but I was getting so tired. I wasn't even enjoying it anymore. But, you know, that's who we are, I guess.
0: I think that's fascinating because I I would always think someone who is a a GB athlete like you would have completely nailed the – looking after themselves because you know you need you need your body to be functioning as 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 well as possible but I think you know it, it's quite possible to focus purely on one well-being factor ie fitness and completely neglect all the others which are are so so important aren't they and I, I know I was reading one sort of personal coach as in a, a fitness coach not a coach another not a coach cage, but they were saying that the the rest days that athletes have are as important, or if not more important, than the training days. Is that true?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Like you think about how you wouldn't give a sprinter a sprinting session and say, right, sprint hundred meters, and as soon as you get to the finish line, turn around, sprint another hundred meters, and I'm going to expect every hundred meters to be as good as the last one. And you're going to do that for an hour. You're going to get a drink, and then you're going to do that for another hour. And do that for another hour. but that's what we're doing in life a lot of the time. And unless you know, and so actually, if you've got a sprinter, you get them to run 100 meters, and then they have like five minutes, ten minutes rest, and then they'll do that session, and then they'll go home and have a nap, and then come back and maybe do another session later. And then that evening, they'll have a massage and sleep really well and have a lie until ten o'clock or whatever. And then so. Actually, their rest is is more important in many ways. And if you don't, so if you think of it in sort of an athletic terms, as if you don't rest, then your muscles don't adapt because the whole time with training is you're causing those sort of like little micro traumas, and that's what stimulates muscles to develop and all the rest of the stuff. So you need that rest time for your body to develop. And actually, I think that work wise, we're exactly the same. Because if you work and work and work, we all know you're not as productive. I'm nowhere near as productive at 6.30 as I am at 9.30. <laughs> yeah. um, I know that. Um, and I can tell. But then there's a part of you that's like, no, go hard or go home. You know, like, come on, like, keep going. And I think as a profession, we're terrible for that in many respects. And I think it's learning that actually the the time off is just as important, if not more, as when you're there. And that whole presenteeism thing, I think wasn't, wasn't as much maybe in medicine at one point, but I think I started to sort of, to creep back in a bit. And I think it's hard to rein back from that. and I think it's also hard to admit when you are struggling. And I think that's something that I've really, I've really struggled with with that. And that sort of being, being vulnerable with somebody Um, and having... There's great strength in vulnerability, and I think we should probably learn that, in that it's acknowledging that vulnerability within ourselves to say, actually, we're not invincible, so we do need this time, downtime. And maybe if things are getting crazy, then we need to take time off or have a bit of extra leave or something like that. But it's having... It's having the confidence to to have that vulnerability with somebody, I think, is really important.
0: But we don't do that, do we? We don't go, oh, I've been working really hard. I'm feeling a bit knackered. I really need some time off. Or we might we, we just about allow ourselves to say, oh, I really need a holiday. Thank goodness I've got a holiday coming up in six weeks' time. I'm just living for my holiday. But we don't go, this week has been awful. Therefore, tonight I'm going to cancel those plans and I'm going to go and have a bath. <laughs> or yeah. I'm going to do something that's going yeah. to soothe and look after me
1: yeah that's exactly it and I think I think actually what what's fascinating is if is if as a profession we cared for ourselves anywhere near as much as we cared for our patients we would be a far healthier more motivated and our well-being would be far greater Mm. and I think actually we have a lot of compassion for other people but to have compassion for ourselves we struggle with
0: yeah we really do don't we and and I think this whole idea that we're weak if we need a rest or we're weak if we need a break or we're weak if we're struggling, it's just so pervasive and it's so destructive yeah. and it, it's not, it's not helpful. And I think it's not helped by the workload and the fact that if you do notice someone else is struggling, then maybe you don't say anything because that means that you've got to take some of their work off them or see some of their patients or, you know, it, it's its hard, but it it's so vital because we're losing so many people in terms of people leaving or having to cut back down or, or burning out and going off with stress and sickness and things like that, that, that actually it's a, it's a false economy, isn't it? What did you do? What did you do when, when you had your, that burnout? I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz.
1: And um, so that's interesting. So this is where I'm a bit of a hypocrite. So I remember not... So I didn't... Not, I don't think any of my colleagues actually knew what happened. Um, I think I was quite... I was really embarrassed, actually. If I'm if I'm absolutely honest, I was quite embarrassed about the whole thing. Um, because you think, I've done this to myself. And you think, there were so many opportunities that I could have had. And there were so many things that I didn't have to do. But I did. And so... I think part of that and I think part of it is the stigma and that you think just like we said is that you think well I should have been able to cope with the stress of of the inspection I should have been able to cope with the coroner asking me various questions and all this sort of stuff and I you know I shouldn't have been in the position where I had a stress fracture and all those things played into it but I think actually what happened was I it really made me sort of look inside and look at what had happened. And I, I reached out to a friend who's a sports counselor in Australia who works in this area, so mainly with, with athletes. And she's looks a lot at in terms of your recovery and that's and that sort of area for athletes. And she's got like a system of like check-ins, and it's really interesting. I started doing it, and it's it's been the best thing that I've done because it's a way of checking in on yourself but there's an accountability because you have to do it because I get an email saying here's your check-in thing check in please sort of thing so you know is I'm a people pleaser so I had to do it um, so you do that and it's just thinking about and it's almost like and we could all do it and everyone that listens to this could do it and it's just having that so it's on a Friday which I think is quite a good time to check in on how you're feeling and it's thinking about how you're feeling. So how are you feeling physically? So in terms of athletes, it's like, you know, do your arms and legs feel heavy when you're doing stuff? Are they burning? Those sorts of things. But actually that, that applies to any of us. Like, do you have enough energy? If I said you want to go for a walk around the park, could you? Because if actually you're so knackered that your legs wouldn't take you, then for an issue. And things like, are you eating? Are you looking after yourself physically? Um Talking about sleep, so think about how you're sleeping. So are you sleeping well or not? Because that's normally the first thing that I think starts to go with us. And it's quite interesting when you speak to people about how how they're sleeping and what's keeping them awake. And is, you know, why is that keeping you awake? And is there something you could do to help that? And then thinking about sort of your sort of mental and emotional factors, like how are you feeling in general, like are you feeling sort of depressed or low? Are you feeling like anxious? Because there's nothing worse than that constant adrenaline when you are on the edge and you've got it coursing through your veins, and you think it's okay, it's just the duty doctor session that's making me like this. But actually, it's not. It's because you're sort of approaching that edge and your cortisol levels and everything else are just like pumping. So it's thinking about those sorts of things. Um, And then looking at like your stressor levels. So like how have you got extra stress like has have you got an issue with one of the kids at school that's stressing you out have you got an issue you know with one of your family members that's in a nursing home have you got problems at work like you know not getting friction with a colleague or a difficult patient or a complaint or something like that have you got extra stresses you know physically like are you training for for a fun run or a marathon or something like that because all those sorts of things they're all stresses for us and they they're all holes in that bucket that we have mm. and unless we check in on how we're doing with all of that then it we, we're we never going to understand that we need to stop that we need to slow down we need to help to try and fill it
0: yeah I think that's a really interesting point because I think we all know the big stresses in life like you know losing somebody dies that's a huge stress getting divorced huge stress moving house huge stress getting married huge stress Maybe, you know, starting a new job, huge stress. But there's all these other stresses, micro stresses, like you said, like knowing you've got a CQC inspection, having a complaint. Well, that's a, that's a huge stress, having a complaint. Um, have a Difficult relationship with someone, having to have a difficult conversation. One of your kids is a bit poorly. Uh, this has happened, this has happened. I know Rangan Chatterjee, who's written The, the Stress Solutions, the GP does a brilliant podcast. Um, he talks about micro-doses micro of stress. So... Often, you know, he could say you could have had 20 microdoses of stress before you even have your breakfast, like the alarm clock goes off to uh, and you didn't sleep very well, a little bit of stress. You know, you run out of toothpaste a little bit of stress. You have argument with your partner, a little bit of stress. You, you know, this, that, and you know, one of your two children is rude to you, micro stress, but it it builds up. And I think one of the phrases that we use that is not very helpful sometimes is well, well, no one's died, so you know, things aren't that bad, you know. Actually, we don't know that we don't realise how much affect these little stresses are having on us and yes we might not be experiencing a big problem that other people can recognize but actually it, it builds up like you said and if you if you're not filling up your energy bucket you're just going to keep leaking and in these all these tiny holes are going to keep poking and it's keep gonna keep gonna yeah. go out
1: that's it and I think that the whole thing is like saying oh well no one's died it's like when we say oh there's so and so's there's people worse off and you think but well, that doesn't diminish the experience that you're having no. that doesn't diminish what you're going through right now just because somebody hasn't died that doesn't have to happen for you to feel bad yeah um yeah I think that's yeah uh, but your your sort of analogy the micro stresses if you put think of that sort of in athletic terms that's exactly what happens with a stress fracture is that you you pound you know so you go running you pound the feet and the, the bones get that, that little bit of stress and every so often it's a bit of stress it's just a little bit too much and you get those microfractures. and there's a theory that you sort of get these microfractures that happen and each time you're pushing your luck a bit too much so like you're not eating right or you're doing too much mileage or you've done it too much too soon all these sorts of things and but all of them sort of confine and you sort of get microfracture after microfracture. and then one day you just push your luck one step too many and bang it's gone and I don't think that's too indifferent to what happens with us, is that you, everything mounts up. And then one day you, you find yourself sat with your head and your hands on your desk you thinking, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's us being aware of that. And I think part of it is actually us accepting that we are fallible as humans. Yeah, 100%. Which, yeah, naturally comes to doctors.
0: And I'm, I'm reminded of the stress curve, you know, the Yerkes-Dodson stress curve that I use all the time with training. That basically performance on the x-axis, no, stress on the x-axis, pressure on the x-axis, performance on the y-axis. And you know, with increased pressure comes increased performance. You know, we need a bit of pef- pressure to perform. But we think it just keeps going up and up and up and up. But it doesn't. You start, to, you know, with too much pressure, you start to go down. And your analogy of petrol in the car, I think, is brilliant because. So many times as professionals, we think, oh, I can just make it to the next, to the next. I know I need to refuel, but I can just make it. I can just make it. But actually you, you can't, there is definitely a finite amount. We are physical beings. We wouldn't expect a car to make it when it literally doesn't have enough petrol, but we think we can. And because we think that the stress will just keep going. But the thing about burnout is it's very physiological, isn't it? You're, you yeah. literally burn out your hypothalamic axis, your cortisol. Sort of, you, because you've been, had so much increased cortisol, you've downregulated your own production. Suddenly it, it's all gone and you genuinely are burnt out and all the energy has gone. And I think we're very bad at realizing that that could happen to us until it happens to us. And then we think, oh, crap, yeah. this really did happen to me. And it takes
1: a while to recover from, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It's. I mean, like I'd say, I'm. I pretty much touch wood recovered now, but got it took me months of just sort of doing. Once se- I remember, I was alla- basically I was allowed to do one session a week that was like a proper like what well, was I'd term it proper hard session. So I I, and I was like right I'm going to go rowing because I've got my rowing mates. So that was great, and that, I had that sort of social element, and it's just sort of taking a step by his steps. So the good thing, the really good thing, other than all this resilience thing, is I was like, right, I need something else in my life other than work and training because that was all I did, really. So anyway, so now I've got my dog who I can't imagine being without. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was like a moment when I was like, right, okay, I need something else in my life. Um, And each, everyone's got their own thing but I think sometimes it's those sorts of things but that was, you know, like another good thing to come of it. certainly. And
0: when we spoke before, you were telling me about this really innovative system that this coach has got you to do. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant about this system of not just, you know, athletes, you know, that you've got to hit certain targets for training every week, but actually she's completely flipped that on her head and made you reach certain targets for rest every week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I, so I fill out that check-in and then basically she tells me how much I need to do with my filling my tank stuff. So all the stuff that I get I think about so it's, it's all got so it's, it's all got like points allocated to it and that sort of thing but the simple version that anyone listening to this could apply it was if you on a Friday night as you're driving home from work or sat on the train or on the bus or anything like that just like check in with yourself and think oh how am I feeling physically like am I feeling full of energy and I'm ready and raring or do I want to collapse on the safer how do I feel like mentally, I, am I exhausted? Am I getting snappy? Am I being irritable? Am I feeling anxious or low? Like, have I got lots of stresses? Am I sleeping well? Am I eating well? And if those things, you're starting to think, actually, well, this is bad and this is bad and this is getting worse and I'm not, then actually that's indicating to you that those things you need to do over that next week, fill your tank up, need to go up because otherwise it's going to drain out. It's going to drain out a lot quicker than you can imagine. And, and yeah, and I get like a points-based system, and as a as someone who's quite sporty, I quite like having a target. I like, I like every, to see everything turning green. I can't, I hate it on the app when it looks red. I can't just bear an orange. I'll run up and down the road in front of my house to make sure that it's green and not orange because the mileage. So that sort of stuff. And so actually, if you have a number that you have to hit, then you think right, okay. So maybe it's on a Friday night you're driving home, and you think right, okay. I'm feeling terrible. I'm going to do five things next week. That, that are good for me. So, I might have a bath, I might go meet a friend for coffee when we can do that. Um, you know, I'm going to go out for a walk twice. I, and telling yourself, right, and put a number on it. Because there's, there's evidence that if you put a number on it or you tell somebody what you're going to do, that there's a much greater chance that you're going to do it. So, maybe you get home and say to your spouse, child, dog, cat, whatever, I'm going to do five good things next week. And write them down. I put it on the fridge like put what number one, two, three, four, five on the fridge and fill them in as you go. And remember that each of those things you do mean more to you as a doctor and as a person than anything that you will do work-wise. That will be of more benefit to your patients, to your family, you know, to your friends than anything that you'll do. Doing an extra order at the weekend isn't going to make you a better doctor but I'll be willing to bet that having a bath and having a meal with friends or Skyping someone you haven't spoken to age, for ages actually will make you better, will make you happier, You will function better. And I think we really need to learn that and not feel that it's just work, 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 because it doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah, that is such wise advice. Doing an extra audit won't make you a better doctor, but Skyping an old mate might. And it's so true, you know, all the evidence points to um, if you are happy at work, you will be productive at work. Not the, you know, not if you work hard, you'll be productive. It's if you're happy, you'll be productive. And I think the thing that I've realised, and, and I recognise this in myself, I'm quite good at doing the whole, right, I've got to eat properly and I've got to do this X amount of exercise a week. I'm not very good at saying I've got to do this amount of of nurturing a week. And I, I'm starting to learn how important those rest and digest activities are for us that get us into our parasympathetic zone you know meditation and yoga and sitting in your hot tub or whatever whatever it is that 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 switching off that nurturing that self-compassion is is as important as the the drive bit of the the running and doing that's as important as me doing my 0 to 5k app or you know doing my my gym circuit session or something something like that and it needs to be in balance otherwise all we're doing is flitting from our drive zone to our threat you know adrenaline zone and we're not going anywhere near that parasympathetic rest and digest thing yeah
1: that's it and I think part of it is um I think uh in sort of I guess doctors are always considered high achieving professionals and all that, and all that sort of thing and to do that you have to have that work ethic and that that drive to do it and i as a, as an you know, individual i've always very much been like a go hard or go home type person i'm the one that's always like yeah we'll do an extra rep no we're not stopping and you know like i egg you know my friends when we're training wind them up you know and we'll get everyone going and i think it was a real it was only because of what happened to me that all of a sudden i really understood what i needed to do but and we see it as a weakness to say, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that because I'm going for my bath. And like in my head, for me to say that would be like, re- it's really hard or even to say, I'm not going to do my bike session because I'm knackered. And it's taken me a long time to accept that actually, if you are really tired, what's the point? when you mm. force yourself into doing anything because you're not getting anything from it. You're going to make everything a whole lot worse. And I think that's not just with sport that's with everything if you get in and you've got a work project if you are absolutely shattered don't do it because you'd be better off not doing it sort of recuperating for the evening and then just doing it later day because it'll be there tomorrow and yeah but I think so much of it is getting over that stigma yeah
0: and I, the best advice anyone ever gave me actually was when trying to do your work, it's like follow your energy. If you feel like doing that thing, do it. Do it now when you feel like it. If you really can't face it, don't force yourself to do it. Yeah. But I think as well, you know, speaking as a, a middle-aged woman, there, and I'm reading the Caitlin Moran book at the moment, More Than a Woman, which is hilarious and fascinating. And she talks about the fact that there's so many other commitments in life that literally work is her joy because... She, everything else she's got to do she's she's there for everybody else she loves work but then there's no there is no time yeah. and I think we have to fight for that time to nurture and look after ourselves because no a no one else is going to fight for it mm-hmm. but b if you want to be there to look after other people you've got to do that rest resting for yourself otherwise you know you're, you're just no good and you're not a very pleasant person to be around well I know I'm mm-hmm. I'm not when I'm when I'm strung out I'm much much more compassionate and caring and tolerant and patient of teenagers when I feel like, when I feel I am in a, a good place. And my bucket, my energy bucket is full. Otherwise it's just a disaster.
1: That's it. Well, I guess it's kind of, well, it's I there's a couple of analogies there, isn't it? It's there's like that whole thing of, you know, on the plane, you've got to put the oxygen mask on first because you're, you're no good to anybody else if you can't breathe. And it's a bit extreme, but I, actually it's just like that. And I think at work, a lot of the time we can spend a lot of, our energy and investment a lot in sort of making sure our colleagues and other staff members are fine and, and you do so much for them but actually you're never looking at yourself and you're never putting on your own masks so you're putting on all their masks one by one but the whole time you're struggling even more I think the other sort of way to think of it is that it's going back to that car and if you're sp- spending the whole time thinking looking around the car and your passengers being your colleagues or your family or whoever and, and it's you're like no I've got to get to the next I'll make it to the next one because I've got all these people in the car and they don't want to stop. I've got to get all of them to wherever we're going. They've got to get there. But actually, if you don't take the time to take yourself into the petrol station, no one's getting anywhere. No one's going to make it to that destination because you're going to run out. And actually, we've all got to look, like you say, no, no one else is going to do it for you. And you are your own most precious resource. Mm, so
0: true. So Jess, where are you now? How, how are things going now? now for you are you fully recovered
1: so yeah so so yeah so touch wood yeah fully recovered um so yeah I've been out this morning with the dog running on um I'm doing a lot of like running off road and on the mountains at the moment so that's quite nice um because it's not time related so I've struggled with trying to get back my, my running speed since since it all happened and I realized that sort of chasing times especially once COVID hit wasn't really going to help me because it wasn't helping my self-esteem i think well the times aren't getting better and i was sort of feeling frustrated in that respect so i was like right i'll go and hit the hills which is great because your watch is kind of irrelevant because one day it's like muddy and you're wading through stuff and the next minute a dog's chased deer so you've got to go back and get her and stuff so mm-hmm. so yeah so that's that's been really good and i think training is goes is that yeah i'm hopefully on the way to recovery and hopefully can do some competing again next year I think I've certainly learned a huge respect for where rest, recuperation, and resilience lie in the sort of hierarchy of importance in my life. I think Mm -hmm. you know they were very, very negligible at the very bottom of anything before, but then now it's it's up there at the top because Mm -hmm. without that, I can't imagine being where I was on that day when I couldn't run. And then bumped into three people I knew on the way home as I was walking home, doing the walk of shame, trying to put a happy face on it and then realising that the next six months were going to be pretty difficult for me. So I think it's just understanding, learning from where you've been. And sometimes you have to, they say you've got to get to the bottom. I don't believe you have to hit the bottom, but I think for some people like me is that probably had to happen to me for me to believe it could happen because I refused to believe that it could. And I thought I was invincible. And I think if I was you know, sharing what happened to me, I think is probably just trying to let people know that actually we aren't invincible. We think we are, but we're not. And I, if it stops anybody else from getting to that point, be it from, you know, work, exercise, home, whatever it is, then it's a story well told. Hmm.
0: and we're so grateful for you sharing it with us today what would your top three tips be for any professional be it doctor lawyer accountant uh, other manager leader be who who's sort of feeling a bit burnt out and feeling oh, what do i do what are your top tips
1: like the first thing i would say is allow yourself to be vulnerable either if you can't be vulnerable to somebody else and say oh i'm I, i'm knackered i can't do this i need a break then at least to start with being vulnerable to yourself and saying okay i acknowledge this and and actually realize that in you acknowledging that and be and that vulnerability is a huge strength and it shows that you are a far stronger person for doing it than for just hiding it and trying to pretend it's not happening because it is happening to lots of people right now i'm sure um I think my other thing would be to try and to check in with yourself. So, um, either like uh, technology is great. So put a reminder on your phone, like check in like, on a Friday at six o'clock or whatever it's going to be, put that reminder in there and do it. I'm sure there are loads of apps out there that you could use for it. Um, it's, it's something that we all have to do. And I think we, it can be one of those things that we say, I haven't got time to do it. Well, I'd be amazed if you genuinely haven't got time for two minutes to sit there and just think. Um, because actually we all have. And it's an investment of your time. And I think sometimes we put off self-care type things because we say, oh, I haven't got time for that. But actually, as we've talked about, that's the one thing that you should have time for more than anything. You should have time for that over doc man or admin or paperwork or anything like that. You know, um, and I think the other thing is just to be kind to yourself because we are all, as I said before, we don't care for ourselves anywhere near as much as we care for patients, and we don't talk to ourselves like we would talk to our friends, but we need to because t- telling yourself that you're a failure because you can't. Do the C because you're afraid of the CQC inspector isn't going to help anything, and it's not true, but is certainly something that we all need to sort of just just acknowledge and just be kinder to ourselves in everything. Yeah.
0: Thank you. i think there's anything I can add to that, I just think that is such good advice, if only we could make ourselves take it. <laughs> yeah that's the that's the thing so yeah so just thank you thank you so much for being on the podcast and I do just want to say to anybody listening if you are feeling at the edge of you know edge of burnout the end of your tether then please get some help please go see your own GP access the practitioner health program access your own employee assistance service you know, go and talk to a friend do something about it do not suffer in silence and do not feel any shame in doing that. And I think everybody else remember that, you know, life is precious. You know, our bodies are precious and we only have one of them. And that involves your mind as well as your, your physical body. And we need to, we need to look after ourselves and rest is just as important as achievement and everything else. So just be good to yourself, be kind to yourself and listen to your body. It knows what you need. So, Jess, thank you so much for being with us and I'd love to have you back another time to chat further about this. It's such an important topic.
1: That's great, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, bye. bye